All right, tonight, here's what I want to do tonight. Because I've been called on late in the game, what I want to do is take something that's similar to what I've done before that is topically appropriate for our society and for the month we are in. It's Pride Month. Pride Month. Why are Christians, what is it about Christians that take such a stand against the society and its devolving sexual morals? Why are we, why, why would we say it's not political? Why would we say it is not societal? Why, when we talk about sexuality, do we take the stand that we do? We want to make sure that everything we do is rooted in what the Bible says. And probably the most appropriate passage for this kind of discussion will be found in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, here's what we want to do in the time we have together. I want to just walk through Romans chapter 1, starting in about verse 18 or so, and make that a Bible study, and I want to confront and talk about three of the lies, or three lies, that Satan has sold to the society and that we stand against. Why do we stand against it? Well, it's not because we are of some political affiliation. It is because of our belief in what the Bible says. So let me pray, and then let's turn this into a Bible study. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing Kyler Smith home to us safely. We pray that tonight as we open your word, that your word would feed our souls, would strengthen our hearts, would give us joy in the Lord, would give us great hope as we look outward into a world that does feel, it feels hopeless. Lord, we need you to help us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the great features of the Bible is that you can open it up and it speaks to the things that we face on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis. And it speaks to the primary issues of our day. I don't have to stand up and think of topics to preach on. I can open the Bible, study, and the topic comes out of the passage. But this evening, I want to do it a little differently. Because here we are in the month of June, and uh, the United States has taken the month of June as the month of pride. And you press that a little further, what, what is the pride in? It is pride in what we would say is a sinful way of living. That we would say that it is, ab that it is abhorrent to God, it is against the creation order, and it should not be something you take pride in. But the problem we live in, the problem with our society is that we can't get away from it. You cannot walk out of the doors here and get away from seeing the rainbow flag. So 40 years ago, rainbow flag, we understood. They came right out of Genesis and reminded us of God's good covenant that he would never destroy the earth again. It's amazing to me that that movement has taken this covenant symbol that said, that, I mean, they, they need to be thankful for the rainbow because it is God's promise that he's not going to uh, destroy everything because he, he, 
he would have had he not made that promise. But they've taken that, that flag, and so we see that everywhere. And not only that, you see it uh, in public schools, you see it in libraries. Even tonight, there's um, a gathering in town, 6.30, at the very same time, I'm going to be talking on it, that will have uh, a drag queen story hour in our, in our town. It's happening in libraries, it's happening all over. There'll be plenty of celebrations by way of pride. I mean, I don't have to give you this. You already know it. You live it. You see it everywhere. Okay, with that in mind, though, we, we want to make sure we're not reacting because we are of a certain society or we came up in a certain part of the world or because we are of a certain political affiliation. We want to make sure that the reason we don't like things or we do like things is because the Bible has instructed us. The book of Romans is a tough book to preach through. It took me two, two years. Waited till I was 50 years old to do it. And a lot of people figure that Romans chapter 9 is the hard chapter. 9 and 10. And it is hard. But Romans chapter 1, especially the, the last nine verses of Romans chapter 1, is one of the most fearful passages in the whole Bible. I'd like to read it and just, and just maybe talk about it. Let's go to verse 18. This is what Paul writes. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the, create, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, for this reason, God gave them up to, a dishon to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with their passions for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Okay, okay, that's a heavy passage. In the last few years, you've seen it. Like I preached this, I preached this passage five years ago this month, or last month, 
five years ago. And five years ago, we were not in the state we are in right now. I mean, it was bad five years ago, but it's, it's gotten so worse. And you read this and you feel the, you, you, you feel the wrath of God. You, you can see the judgment of God. And in this passage, here's what the Apostle Paul is doing. The Apostle Paul is, is he's drawing out the consequences of a world that refuses to worship God as he is. The Bible teaches us this is God's world and the way we worship him is on his terms. Paul gives us in this passage a, a horrifying variety of, of lustful vices, and here's what he does. He pursues, what is the theology? What is the reasoning? What is the theology behind the purpose of, of showing all of us are sinners? Yes, but what is behind this? Why have people believed the devil's lie? So let's take this passage in its context and let's hear what, what God says. Join me in it. We'll just sort of walk through it. Uh, join me there, verse 16 and 17. You know that passage. It's the great passage of the gospel. There in verse 16 and 17, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. As it is written, righteous shall live by faith. Verse 18 he, he tells us, verse 18 tells us, why do we need the gospel? See verse 18? Because the wrath of God is revealed. Why the gospel? Why do we preach it? Why do we need to share the gospel? Verse 18 tells us why. The wrath of God has been revealed. Okay, if that's the case, and that wrath has been revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. If you join me now over in verse 23... And verse 23 gives us the reasons. Why does God judge sinners? And the reason is it's an exchange. You see verse 23? They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You see the word therefore in verse 24? Therefore. If that's the case, therefore, verse 24 says... It's a, it's a grammatical bridge. Therefore, what we're going to talk about today, what you hear from this passage, are the lies. Let me give you the first one, first lie. <clears throat> Satan's first lie is that you can trade good for evil. Trading good for evil is the first lie. Go right there in the middle of the passage, verse 25, you'll see it. Because they exchanged. See the word exchange? They exchanged. That word, basically, it's a restatement of verse 23. They exchanged the lie. The lie tells you they exchanged the glory of God for a lesser glory in verse 33. You see it in verse 25. Verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And uh, you see that word, a lie, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie in verse 25. If you're reading it in Greek, there is a, a definite article. There is a the there. So we, we, you read it and it would be like this. 
they exchanged the truth about God for the lie. And then the rest of the verse, the verse 25, explains what is that lie? Well, the lie is they worship the creature, people, rather than the creator. So, all of this is driving toward the sin of sexual immorality. So, at the, at the very core, uh, at the very root of sexual immorality, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, heterosexual in verse 25, 24, heterosexual in verse 26 and 27, at the root of it, the root, is the desire and exchange to live under a lesser God. To live under the wings of a lesser, to the exchange, you see. It's to believe, it's to believe the lie that, um, it's to believe the lie and to, to focus your awe and your reverence and your devotion on a creation rather than the creator. And, and really, if you had to write down one word, it's simple idolatry. It's idolatry. Why has the world gone the way it has? It is absolute, simple idolatry. That pursuit of that idol has taken over our society in unbelievable ways. To, to worship the creation rather than the creator, it's idolatry. To, to take something of God's creation and put some sort, of, some sort of importance, to take some aspect of God's creation and put that in the place of God. This is an exchange. So what happens is, whether it's theologically or morally or mentally, what happens is emotionally you end up in, in bankruptcy. Now we haven't even gotten to verse 26 and 27. What we have here is the groundwork. What's behind, what's behind the pride movement? What's behind the exchange? What's behind the, this, this, this new awareness of transgender movement. What's behind that? And what's behind it is idolatry. And what's behind that is Satan. Now listen, none of us are ever standing still. We want to keep moving forward and want to make sure that, that our stances on, on social issues are coming out of the Bible. What does the Bible teach us about God's good creation? Verse 24, we understand about Heterosexual sin is an affront to God. Verse 26 and 27, homosexual sin is an affront to God. Verse 25 tells us right in the middle of those two, both of those things are an exchange. Verse 25 says all of that is a lie. It's a lie to deny the one true God, the God who has made us in His image. What happens is we create a God. This new God, this pride God has been created to condone and affirm. Even some churches, I, I went to several websites today, churches here in Charlotte. <clears throat> if, you, if you were to Google uh, affirming, affirming churches in Charlotte, churches that would affirm Pride Month come up. And they're regular churches. You're like, oh, I mean, you could go in that church and until you heard a sermon there, you would think, this is a normal church. Why has that happened? Because it has invaded, it has invaded even the territory that used to be God's. 
But as Christians, we believe that God is a just God who created us. You hear me say this every Sunday. He created us in his image. If you are a man, God created man in his image. If you're a woman, God created woman in his image. So the womanhood is in the image of God, manhood in the image of God. And the first lie that Satan tells you is you can trade what was good. You can trade what was good for evil. What's the second lie? <clears throat> Let's go to the second lie. The second lie is it tells you that you can feel okay when you're not okay. To, to feel all right about yourself when you're, you should not feel all right. That's part of the, the pride movement is taking, the, the whole idea is take pride in this aberrant behavior. It, it's the lie that says, Feel okay about yourself, even if you're not okay. Let's back up to verse 24 and come forward. <clears throat> Go to verse 24 with me there, Romans 1, and read that first horrifying phrase. Isn't it terrible? Therefore God gave up on them, gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Let's Let's take verse 24 and chop it up a little bit. Just, let's just go phrase by phrase. First is the, the, the phrase, God gave them up. It's a terrible phrase. That phrase, God gave them up, you'll find it in the Old Testament oftentimes. It describes um, how, how when Israel sinned so badly, God would just give them up. How God would turn Israel over to her enemies for punishment. That, that phrase... Um, it, that phrase is an active phrase. It's not a passive phrase. So it's not like this, okay, it, look, if you just want to do your own thing, God will let you go. But it's not passive. It's not like that. It's, it's an active phrase that says, God has now, you, this is how you're going to be. God has come and put you out. It's a terrible phrase. If you read Galatians and Ephesians, when Paul uses that phrase, he uses it to, um, he uses it to describe how 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 Christ gave him up. You know, Philippians uh, 2, when Paul says that, that Jesus emptied himself, it's the same thing. Here, here Paul takes that phrase, brings it over here and says, if, when God sees that, God empties them. It's, it's, this in, it's this intense act of a just God handing sinners over to their own sin. So, so, follow the logic on that. If God hands sinners over to their own sin, then the actual sin becomes part of the judgment. The actual sin is the judgment. So, so when you see pictures of, of celebrations of Pride Month, you can, you can sense that, that the sin is the judgment. Look again at verse 24. <clears throat> Notice that there are three things that God gives, God gives them up to. Verse 24. God gave them up to the lust of their hearts. Second word. To impurity. Third phrase. Gave them up to the dishonoring of their bodies. That's still the first one. God gave them up to the lust of their hearts. Here is this... Um, 
lust. You probably have a pretty good handle on the word lust. It's a strong craving for forbidden, this forbidden sin. It can, it can happen with an addiction or with pornography. You um, see false, if you watch pornography, it's false images of how God has created us. This fake idea about sex. And, and that in itself becomes part of the judgment, you see. It's, 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 it's giving you over to the secret desires, and that's judgment. When, when you get what you lust for, part of God's judgment on you is you, get, you actually get that. So, that. so that sin inevitably creates its own penalty. It's a lie. It's a, it's a, it's a trap from Satan. He knows it. Second thing mentioned in verse 24 that God gave them over to is the word impurity. See the word impurity? God gave them over to impurity. It's a, that word impurity is a broad, it's a broad term. Um, it's a term for moral filthiness. Um, impurity is a term for nasty talk, for, um, for, for sex, sex outside of marriage. It's the, it, the Greek word is akatharsia. Akatharsia. So think of the word cathartic. The word cathartic, and if you put ah on the front end of cathartic, in Greek that means it negates it. So instead of being purifying, it is something that is nasty. Uh, cathartic is, uh, if you, some say that if you, that crying is cathartic for your soul. I think that's probably a lie, but some people say that. That crying is cathartic, your eyes would flush them out or something. I don't know if that's true or not, but it clen it's cleansing. And what Paul is saying, this ah, cathartic, is, is he, he's, God gives people over to impurity. So, so every sexual act from pornography to fornication, it, it, it all points to God giving over. It's a judgment. What else? Verse 24, why does God give, us, give sinners over to that? Verse 24, because, you see the phrase? It's dishonoring. Dishonoring your body. Isn't it good for us to read Genesis 1? We find out that God created us in His image, that God created us for good, for His own glory. He created us male and female, that you are His special, think of our children, his, there's, it's God's special creation in His image, and we're promised grace and redemption when we turn from sin, from, and from, from sexual sin to, to Christ. And what the lie says is you should take pride in that. Got a whole month of it. You don't need to turn from it. Take pride in that. And the Bible says no. No, that's part of God's judgment if you do that. It's a lie, you see. And then the third lie. This is where the Bible speaks very clearly about LGBTQ and Pride Month. It's the lie that tells you to think. Think wrong is actually right. Think wrong is right. A lot of questions right now, do you want to be on the, the, the right side of history? 
that's the kind of the, that's the popular way right now to talk about how, where your stance is. You want to be on the right side, and if you find yourself, you're not stepping through and signaling with great virtue that you are with the culture, get with the program, you're going to find yourself on the wrong side of history. Let me take it up, verse 26 and 27. Because verse 26 and 27, it's, it's interesting the way God has given it to us. He addresses both male and female homosexuality. So if you read verse 26, it's male homosexuality, or, or I should say female homosexuality, verse 26. Verse 27, male homosexuality. Verse 26 speaks to, to female same-sex attraction. Verse 27, very specifically, to male same-sex attraction. This speaks to, to gender identity. So that someone that Someone that was sinning in a homosexual way and had those desires, we're not going to say you are a homosexual or gay Christian. We're going to say when you come out of that and give your life to Christ, that's not your identity, you see. What your identity is, you're a new creation in Christ. That's where we get that. In this passage, Paul uses the clearest, Paul uses the clearest words available for what is male and what is female. And he makes a, a, an emphatic declaration of God's good creation in making us male and female. If you're a woman, your femaleness is God's good creation. If you're a man, your manhood is God's good creation. And, and this is a crucial this is a crucial passage right here. Verse 26, 27 should be for us a crucial passage in a society that has not only legalized but normalized same-sex marriage. We would say there's no such thing. This is a crucial, a crucial passage for uh, the trans, transgender, transsexual movement because here is the clearest. There are other New Testament passages, but here is the clearest New Testament passage as to why we as Christians can't normalize that. Why we find ourselves standing against. It's not political, it's not social, it's not our background. It's because of what the Bible has given us. Let's go to the Bible. Look at the words with me. We'll list out the issues and then apply the gospel. We list out the issues, we apply the gospel. What are the issues? Verse 26, you see the phrase dishonorable passion. What is the word dishonorable? That word dishonorable, speaking of uh, homosexual attraction. Dishonorable, that word dishonorable, what does it mean? It's a real strong word. It's degrading. It is shameful. It's vile. It's depraved. It, uh, what is dishonorable? It is a flagrant violation of what God has given us. I mean, you might write down something like, it's not honoring to God. It's not honoring to God. It's not honoring for people. It is not God's design for relationship. It's not God's design for love. It is not God's design for combating loneliness. But the way Paul has written it to us here is, as he's talked about the wrath of God, he said, this is part of that. It is not... Homosexuality is a perversion of God's intended relationship between a 
man and a woman. And it carries, according to verse 26, it carries its own specific penalty. And I would press it further. Let's not forget that, um, that behind these movements is Satan himself. I'm, I'm working on Mark chapter 5 for uh, Sunday. I've been working on it. It's the passage Jesus and the disciples after the storm passes. They cross the Sea of Galilee, come over to uh, the, Decapol the, the Decapolis. It's a Gentile region. As soon as they get out of the boat, there's this demon-possessed man that comes and runs at them. We find out his name is Legion because there are thousands of demons in him. And part of what marks him out, Mark tells us in verses 3, 4, and 5, if you go and read it, that they can't chain him. He's so strong. He breaks shackles and they've tried to chain his legs and he breaks those. He, he, he lives in the cemetery and out in the mountains he howls at night and they can hear him up there screaming. People are terrified of him and he's, 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 he's cutting himself. It's just this terrible self-mutilation. You know, you step back and think that, I mean, it's what Satan that's what he does. He, he gets behind the movements that will be part of this self-mutilation and, and this self-destruction. So you read these words, you realize, look, this is not just some sort of lifestyle choice. We see behind it a movement of, of Satan. Paul says in verse 26, he uses the phrase, it's against, the, it's against nature. Do you see it in verse 26? For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary. Look at the phrase, contrary to the natural order. Why is this such a, why is this not like stealing? Because it's a disordered sin. It's, it's contrary to nature. That, that there is a picture of God's good creation how he created male, how he created female, how they will function. We would say that, and, and sex outside of marriage is a wrong, it's a wrong way to approach a, an ordered relationship, a disordered. Paul is saying this is disordered. It's against, against nature. We can read, um, we won't flip there now, but Genesis chapter 1, I bet Christina can probably put it on the screen. Genesis 1, 27, when, 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 Moses writes for us, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Jesus himself, when he's asked about marriage in heaven, he picks up on Genesis chapter 1. People will say, well, Jesus wasn't against the homosexual movement. Look, when Jesus talked about sexuality, he reached over to Genesis 1, and this is what he said. Jesus says in Matthew 9, 4, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, he made them male and female? And then when he talks about marriage, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The natural created order is heterosexual. If it comes to marriage, then the natural created order in marriage is heterosexual, monogamous marriage. And a homosexual, a homosexual union, no matter how celebrated or loving or kind it might be, is a, according to the Bible, is against nature. It's against God, and it can, never be, it can never be thought of as legitimate. 
it can never be thought of as that is how God intended it to be. I mean, the phraseology, if you read verse 26 and 27, the phraseology is used in both. Verse 27, the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. Verse 26 and 27, the word exchange shows up. And what Paul is saying is, this is a bizarre trade. This is not how God gave us. When, 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 when Paul talks about the gospel, he illustrates it with marriage between a man and a woman, and you can't illustrate the gospel with this. It, it's contrary completely to God's good design. It, it's, a, it's a flagrant violation of God's good divine plan. And Paul is saying what you've done is, You've, you've swapped the brilliant design of God for a lie. You, you've, you've taken a beautiful car and you put square wheels on it and it's not going to go anywhere. There's more. There's more. Verse 27. Verse 27 says that they were consumed. He's still talking about same-sex attraction. Verse 27. They were consumed with passion for one another. Consumed. That word consumed. It, has the, uh, it, means, it means consumed by fire. It's a very vivid, it's burning, raging fire. This, this, that what he's saying is this personal, burning, sinful attraction, this desire. It's only here in the New Testament, only here. The only time you ever see this word passion. One more descriptor, one more descriptor at the end of verse 27. Look what he says there, that it's... Verse 27, the end. Men committing shameless acts with men. It's a strong, strong word, shameless. It's the word indecent. It, 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 there's not, it, Pride Month is celebrating nothing short of sexual anarchy. It's, throw, it's casting off the rule of God, the good rule of God. And in verse 27 says... And if that happens, then they receive due penalty. Now, now, some will say, you've made this sound like it's the worst thing in the world, that, can, that it somehow is the super sin that can never be forgiven. That is not my intent. My intent is to take the Bible, speak to the, speak to the cultural moment we're in. Cert certainly sexual sins have the same same source as all other sin. They eventually will cause the same separation from God. But here on earth to create this long-term, hard-to-get-over damage. But they are not irreversible. They are not. It's not irreversible. One of the most encouraging things that you can read, I think, in the New Testament is found in the book of 1 Corinthians. Thought oftentimes about preaching through 1 Corinthians. There's a lot of hard passages of 1 Corinthians. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking to a church, and, 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 and notice what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'll just read from verse 9 down to verse 11. Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. The people in the congregation he wrote to they used to live like what Romans 1 talked about. And Paul says, some of you were like that. But you know what the good news is? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. We live in a bad, tough world that is confused, and this month will prove it. But there is for us that have the gospel, there is this, this great hope that the gospel of Jesus saves sinners from the wrath of God in Romans chapter 1. What do we believe? It's a terrible hand of sin. We believe that the gospel is a much greater overcoming gospel. With that in mind, I hope that you will uh, walk out of here tonight with some hope and thankfulness, confidence in your belief from Romans 1, confidence in the gospel that can save sinners. Let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed. Don't forget there'll be cookies and some dream sickles out in the lobby. Let's pray. Father, we pray you would find us faithful to the Bible, faithful to your word, faithful to your will. We pray that you would find us being kind and patient with those that are lost in sin. We pray that you'd prompt us to speak words of truth and love, that the good grace of God is so much better. We pray that you'd find us humble. We ask that you would bring us back here Sunday, ready to worship and thank, thank you for the grace that saved sinners like us. Grace that's given to us in Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.